What a great day it is. It is Mother's Day. Men, will you stand and will we applaud our ladies this morning? And some of our women deserve double praise because I look at some of you guys standing up. (laughs) Some of them even triple praise. It's good to have you here. Listen, let's, let's, uh, let's have a good time to start off with. Can we do that? I want you to think back for a, for a moment, back years past growing up. I know that's hard for some of you, but I want you to think back for a second back to those early years, what was it that you wanted to be great at? Something that you wanted to be that you just wanted to be great at. Think about that just for a second. Now, I'm going to call some of you out, so I want you to think hard. Dave Johnson, what did you want to be? I wanted to be a sheep farmer. You wanted to be a sheep farmer? Knowing you, that's probably true. Johnny Wu? And yet you settled for a podiatrist. Mr. Ed, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ed Baxter, what did you want to be when you grew up? A great rancher in Colorado. You only missed it by a couple thousand miles. <laughs> Nathan Thomas, a fisherman, a great fisherman, right? Not a good fisherman, but a great fisherman. Steve Painter, what'd you want to be when you, when you grew up? Boy, you blew that one, didn't you? (laughs) You married a musician, though. Several of them. (laughs) That's a whole nother sermon series, Steve, okay? (laughs) I know what you were trying to say, and I'll communicate that for you, was that you married into a family of great musicians. That's what you were trying to say. I got you out of that one, brother. I got you out of it. That's okay. It's Mother's Day, by the way. And your mother loves you. I understand. Colt, what did you want to be when you, when you grew up? You wanted to play in the MBA. Richard? A motorcycle racer. That's good. Dale Tucker? You wanted to be a truck driver? (laughs) Mercy. Dottie Nelson? What did you want to be? I wanted to be a PE teacher. You could play some softball back in those days, couldn't you? Some bruises and some cuts and scrapes. 
Do you miss it? No. You know, it's funny. We, we live in a culture that pushes us to be great at something, but not necessarily great altogether. And we started a series last week about the pursuit of greatness. And last week we said this, there's a difference between being great at something and being great. And just because you may be great at something doesn't mean that you're necessarily great. And last week we looked at the Gospel of Mark and we we saw in the New Testament of how Jesus interacted with his disciples. And the disciples had in their mind exactly what greatness was, but Jesus looked at them and would speak some truth into them in reference to true greatness because he said it, it's not about position and it's not about your possessions and it's not about your popularity. It's not about being on stage. It's not about being in front of a group of people, but greatness is when we leverage what we have on behalf of someone else. And so Jesus didn't leave any wiggle room when he made his thoughts clearly known. In the book of Mark, in chapter 10, verse 43, when he said this, and I read to you, but among you, you, us, those of you that want to follow me, he said, you will be, among you, it will be different. For whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. So greatness isn't about being great at something, but greatness is about a choice. A choice that we all make that regardless of how talented or how much many abilities we may have or how gifted we may be or may not be, that every one of us have an opportunity to be great by the choices that we make. But this is what I know, that even though we may be able to, det- to define what true greatness is, there's still a problem. And the problem is this, it's easy for us, those of us, They call ourselves believers to miss the opportunities that we have before us on a daily basis because it's not natural for us to look for ways to serve other people or to give away that which we have, but it's it's more natural for us to be able to hold on to. And it's easier for us to become distracted by the responsibilities and pressures that we have, especially the older that we get in life. True? Very true. And so every day we're faced with the opportunity of choosing whether or not we will be great or not. With those thoughts in mind, I want you to turn over to a passage of Scripture this morning in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10, and I'd like to be able to eventually get to a story that Jesus himself tells again as he describes for us what true greatness is all about. It's a story about a, a, maybe that you've heard before if you've grown up in church, it's a story about a man It was called the Good Samaritan, but we're going to see today that he wasn't just a good Samaritan, but he was a great Samaritan. He was a great person. And Jesus is going to tell this story for a specific reason, because again, he wants us to be able to see a bigger picture of what it means to be great and what greatness looks like. To give you guys some, a little bit of background, here's Jesus somewhere in the mid of his ministry. Jesus has called those to follow him. He's called out his disciples. They've seen him teach. They've heard his teaching. They've they've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him feed the hungry. His popularity is growing. And uh, there is a group of people, the religious leaders, that didn't like Jesus very much at all. As a matter of fact, they've done everything they can. And it was getting a whole lot more intense as they tried to discredit Jesus. And they tried to do that publicly. 
And this would be the same group of people that would eventually buy off a man by the name of Judas who happened to be part of that inner circle of Jesus and his, and his, uh, and his entourage. And they would pay 30 pieces of silver for him to betray Jesus. They would even go to the extent at a point in time in, in Jesus' life and ministry to hire professional liars to testify falsely against Jesus. And so this, this group uh, enlists the assistance of a lawyer to follow Jesus, to take notes, and to try to find something that he, that he could to be able to trap Jesus and discredit him and embarrass him publicly. And so this is where we pick this story up in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And before I read this, I would love to pray with you because this is what I know. There's a story in here for every one of us. There's a piece in here that I believe the Holy Spirit would love to speak to our lives. And I don't want to miss it. So would you pray with me? Father, I, I just ask that as we, as we open up your word now and we begin to read, that it would be you that would bring the pages, the, the, the written word to life, that you would bring us into the story and allow us to see what you want us to see and to hear what you want us to hear so that we can do what you've called us to do and live as you've called us to live. So that's my prayer today. May you speak. May the Holy Spirit be present in this place as we listen and as we read your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25. And if you would, if you have your Bibles, would you please um, read along with me? We, when we first planted Heritage, we, we started using the NLT, the New Living Translation, because of the simplicity of, of the Scriptures and what it said and the way that it communicated within the culture in which we live. And so we read from the New Living Translation, if you happen to have an NIV or King James or whatever. But we always use um, either the New Living Translation or sometimes the Amplified Version. Um, but I, I just want to be able to, to read this out of the New Living Translation today. And this is what the Scripture reads, and this is what we find as Luke records. And he says this, One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Well, the reason that he wants to stand up and ask Jesus a question is because he's trying to trick him. He wants to see if he can, he can trick Jesus and catch him off guard. And so here's the question that he asked. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has been asked this question. We also saw it in the story of the, of the rich young ruler. But here is a, here's a trial lawyer asking a question. And let me just say this in reference to a trial lawyer. A trial lawyer would never ask a question that he didn't know the answer to. And so he knows the answer, but he's going he's to ask a question. And so you've got this expert in the religious law that knows the answer to this question. As a matter of fact, he had known it ever since he was a young man. He had been brought up in the law. And so he asked the question, and this was the question, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response was he asked, answered his question with a question. In verse 26, it says, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say, and how do you read it? In other words, you're the lawyer, you're the expert, why don't you tell us what it says? Because the question to the answer, question to this, the answer to this question that you're asking is found in the law, so why don't you tell us what it says? 
And the lawyer had heard Jesus speak on this multiple times. He had, he had learned the scriptures, the Old Testament growing up. And so he knew that the answer was in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. He knew that there was a portion in Leviticus. But he had also had heard Jesus speak on this several times. So this intelligent lawyer gives Jesus his words back because he wants to trap Jesus. And this is what he said. It said, the man answered, you must love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and all of your mind. And it was like they were sitting in a classroom, and all of a sudden they were like, going, yeah, man, he's smart. Knows what he's talking about. That's right. And Jesus, I also want you to know that I, I also heard what you had said earlier, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer answers Jesus' questions all the time, setting him up. And the response is, right, Jesus said, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, okay, who, who then is my neighbor? And so here's the trap. How would Jesus define neighbor? The lawyer would try to trap Jesus based on his definition of a neighbor. So Jesus needed to be very, very specific because they wanted to trick him to say something that would embarrass him publicly. So Jesus, listen, before you walk away, before we end this conversation, before we're done here today, this is the question that I really want to ask you, who is my neighbor? And Jesus, doing as he did often, would tell a story. Jesus was an incredible storyteller. Before pen and paper, before TV and video and movies, what we did is we told stories. And believe it or not, there are many parts of the world where people still tell stories because they are illiterate and they don't read and they don't write. That was one of the things that we did when we were in India. We took what was called a story cloth to try to instruct them, to teach them, to train them of, about the story of God so that they could communicate the story of God to people who couldn't read or people who couldn't Writing, So we spent time, whether it was in a training session or whether or not it was out up underneath a tree, sitting and talking about the story of God and giving them a tool so that they could teach others about God and his greatness and his love and his care for us. And so here is Jesus going to tell a story. And this is what Jesus said. A Jewish man, and maybe that's a character or part of the story that you need to be reminded of today. You might want to circle that. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Sometimes you want a short answer, but this isn't the short answer. This is the long version. And he says, listen, there was a man that was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, some 17, 18 miles, and you say down to Jericho, but Jericho really isn't down. Jericho is really to the northeast. David could probably verify that. But when they talked about going down to Jericho, what they were talking about was going from the height of where uh, Jerusalem was down to where Jericho was because you went from about 2,500 feet above sea level down to about 800 feet below sea level. And so he's telling the story about going down to Jericho, and he, and he tells, he said, and, and there was this man, this Jewish man, that was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they left him half dead beside the road. Now, this could be a true story, it could be a made-up story, it could have been one that they had heard, I don't know. But all I know is that in this story, there was a man that was robbed, he was beaten, he was left for dead on the side of the road with no clothes. 
When I was in college, I had a friend that was going to class with us. He was on his way back to dorm that night, late one night, and there was a car that was over on the side of the road and somebody that, that positioned him and said, we need some help. So this guy, being a great guy, he stopped to help. When he got out of the car, somebody hit him in the back of the head with a tire iron, left him for dead on the side of the road, robbed him, stole his vehicle, and left him for dead. So I can understand this. I can understand this. It probably took him off his camel, right, and beat him up. But here's Jesus telling this story about a man who's been robbed, beaten, and left for dead on the side of the road with no clothes. And then the story progresses by saying in verse 31, by chance, by chance a priest comes along, a pastor, a religious leader, a guy that you know that would stop, that was supposed to stop. I mean, he's probably just getting out of a, out of a, a temple worship service, and he runs up on this guy, and if there was anybody that would stop to help the man that was in need, it would be this guy. I mean, what a great way to show everybody how religious he was. But when he saw the man lying there, Jesus said he crossed to the other side of the road and he passed him by. When he saw the guy laying there, he didn't do anything. And because he didn't do anything, this is what we know that in some way he had convinced himself that he didn't need to stop and help out. Maybe it was an excuse of, man, I'm in a hurry. I got to get to my next, next place. Uh, you know, maybe the next guy will help out. It might be a trap. But for whatever the reason, this guy didn't stop to help. He just walked right on by. He could have been afraid that maybe the robbers were still around. Maybe he thought the guy's trouble was a result of his own sin. And he said, listen, I don't want to step in where God may be punishing him. But I don't know the details. All I know is what the story has to tell us, that there's a man down and the priest sees him and he doesn't stop. You ever done that? You ever, seen, you ever seen somebody that was in need, and yet you refused to stop? Story goes on. It says in verse 32, a temple assistant, a Levi, descendant of Levi, who would have been one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob would have been the father of the 12 sons who would have made up the tribes of Israel. When Jesus said a Levite, everybody knew exactly who a Levite was and the position that they held and the fact that he was a helper to the temple priest. So now it's a temple assistant that he walks over and he looks at him lying there, but also he passes by the other side. Now it's interesting because the priest and the Levite may have known each other. They may have been friends. They may have been traveling together. The temple assistant may have saw what the priest did, and he said, well, the priest didn't stop, so why should I stop? And we wonder and we think, do people ever watch us and see how we respond or see how we act? And yes, they do. Again, we don't know the details. The only thing we know that there's a man on the ground who's been beaten, who's naked and dying, and for whatever the reason, nobody to this point wanted to be involved in this man's life. So there are two people that, to this point, that have stopped. That you would have assumed that they would have stopped, but they haven't stopped to assist, but well, for whatever the reason. And the story goes on. In verse 33, we see another character enter into this story that Jesus is telling. 
a despised Samaritan, a priest, a Levite, and now a despised Samaritan comes along. What he was doing there on that road, I have no earthly idea. But in this story, Jesus now places a despised Samaritan in the midst of it. He was looked down on because of his heritage. At one time, the kingdom of Israel was a whole. They lived up under a king, um, but now the kingdom had been divided. The north and the south, Israel and Judah, they had their own kings. Ten of the tribes lived in the north, two of the tribes lived in the south. And we learned that because of the disobedience and because of their pagan worship, God allowed the Assyrians to come in and to, and to besiege the, the north. What they ended up doing as a military attack is they moved people out, they exiled people out, and they brought in other Assyrians and other people to live in that, in that area. And when that intermarrying took place, they brought in the pagan worship. And that group of people that was a mixed race became known as the Samaritans. And so they were despised. The Jews hated them and they hated the Jews. They didn't want anything to do with each other. The Samaritans were outcast, despised, that when Jews were traveling to and from, they would often go around those areas where the Samaritans live because they didn't want to have anything to do with them. And by the time of Christ, the Samaritans were deeply despised by the Jews. And now Jesus adds a despised Samaritan into this story, and he does it on purpose. And look at what he says. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Every person walked by the guy laying on the side of the road. They all saw the same thing. A man who had been beaten, a man who had been left to die. But there were two different responses. To stop and help or not to stop. Maybe, again, the priest and the Levite didn't stop because they had a good excuse. But I don't think so. But the guy who could have had an excuse is the one who stopped. And it says that when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. And let me just say this, a person who's been hurt knows what it feels like to be hurt. A person that has been broken knows what it feels like to be broken. A person that has been wrong knows what it feels like to be wrong. A person that has been abandoned knows what it feels like to be abandoned. And here it is, he comes upon someone who's going through a similar experience, and it's almost like he can feel his pain. You ever been there? You ever been in a room and you've walked through something in your life that's been tragic and you've, you've walked through a difficult time, and it may be infertility, it could be marriage issues, it could be financial issues, it could be personal issues going on, and here you are, you're in the midst of a group of people. You yourself have been broken, you yourself have felt pain, and all of a sudden you can identify with others that are in the group because you've been there. You've experienced it. So here he is, the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan as a matter of fact, who didn't turn his head and ignore what he saw, but look at what he did in verse 34. He went over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he would take care of him. And so again, we've got a story. We've got two people that should have been great that did nothing. 
And then another guy who wasn't, who wasn't so great according to the world's standards, and yet he did something great. And he just didn't stop and bandage up the guy, but he took him to get some help. And look at what he goes on to say. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two coins telling him to take care of this man. And then he says this, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. But hadn't he already done enough? I mean, he had stopped, for goodness sake. Why in the world did he have to take it any further? To listen, if his bill runs higher, then I'm going to, I'll pay you when I come back through. In other words, he must have traveled this road. There must have been a relationship or something. But he says, I'll, I'll, if it costs something, I'm going to take care of it. And this is what I know. Is that when we choose to be great and we choose to serve other people, sometimes it costs us more than just our time. Sometimes, Larry, it's going to cost us resources. Sometimes it's going to, it's going to move our wallet. Then Jesus turns to the lawyer and he asks him, a question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? This is really good. The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Who would have known the law? Who would have been really religious and, and, and according to those around them would have, would have, would have been godly? Jesus asked that question. Which one of the guys acted like the real neighbor? Which is the one that treated the person like he should have been treated? And the lawyer replies, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus responded, then he said, yes, now you go and do the same. In other words, listen, you can sit under the law and you can memorize the law and you can know the law and you can be religious, but it does not make you a child of God. See, the neighbor issue really wasn't about how close or far away a person lives, but Jesus said, listen, you, you really want to know what a love your neighbor means? I want you to go, and when you see somebody else in need, I want you to do likewise. Because when you see somebody else in need, I want you to go and be great. And the moral is this, that all of us can choose to be great. All of us have the ability to, to choose to make a decision to be great. By position, the priest and the Levite would have been considered to be great people. Society would have looked at them and said, listen, they're great. But they would have looked at the Samaritan and they would have, he would have never made their list of great people. He would have never been picked. Yet he was the one who took what he had, his talents, his resources to serve another person. And the challenge is this, how do we not see those that are in need and take advantage of those opportunities? Because this is what I know about you, is we all have an excuse. Why don't you think for a second, what are some of the excuses that, that you might have? What are some of the excuses that you've used this past week when you knew there's been an opportunity to serve somebody, but you refused to do that? What about over the, not just the past week, what about the past six months? Why don't I get personal with you just for a second, and why don't I tell you some of the excuses that I have used, because I bet you that you can identify with them. See, I've used the excuse no time 
Jesus, I just ain't got the time for this. I've used that one. Jesus, it's 10 o'clock. It's 10 o'clock. I'm in the Walmart parking lot. One of my kids is, Daddy, Daddy, they got a need. I ain't got time for this. I don't want to take time for it. Jesus, my, my, my resources are limited. Limited. You know what? They can get a job just like I can get a job. They can work just like me. How much is this going to cost me? Time? Resources? What happens if I'm taking advantage of? See, I, I know you because, Jason, you're just like me. Trent, you're just like Rob. You're just like me. I know that you've been working before and you've seen somebody in need and there's probably the opportunity to utilize some of these excuses. We have all been there. We've all been there. So instead of spending the time debating who is your neighbor, the, the thought maybe is just choose to be a good neighbor. See, if obedience is a priority, how do we move beyond the religious motions and the obligations putting, to putting our faith into action? Because truthfully, how many times do we miss the opportunities that God has given us to be great because we're so busy being religious? Sometimes we may not need to meet on a Sunday morning, you know that? Sometimes what we might need to do is we might need to gather in our communities and find out how we can just influence and impact the world in which we live instead of just meeting on Sunday morning and learning just a little bit more when we don't even practice what we already know. That should be a, a hello. It's a whole lot easier to come in on a Sunday morning and sit and listen and to see what God's Word has to say. And when we walk out the doors, we miss all the opportunities because we're too busy being religious. I've got to go to another Bible study. Oh, I've got to do this. I've got to prepare for another sermon. But greatness is a choice. When we see a need that needs to be met, we don't have to call and, hey, Pastor Sid, I just want you to know there's a need over here. You don't have to ask for permission. If you're able to assist, sometimes you just, just do it. Just do it. So the story maybe isn't really about a good Samaritan as much as it is about a great Samaritan, about a guy who understood what greatness truly was and the fact that it was a choice, that even though he had been abused and he had been abandoned and he had been maybe talked bad about and he had been ostracized, he chose to be great that day. Regardless of the man's past or regardless of the man's history or regardless of the man's heritage, he made a choice to be great. And greatness is a choice, and it begins with the, us being willing to be able to ask ourselves the question, what is it I can do to help? The question isn't, how do I solve their problem? The question is, what is it that I can do to help? It's simple. Jesus, how do you want to use me today to, to help? It might mean sitting somebody down and, and asking this question face-to-face. -face. Listen, man, I know you're struggling. What is it that I can do to help? It may not involve any face-to-face -face conversation at all. It may just be knowing what that need is and you going and assisting in some type of a way. You know, it's interesting because I bet you there's somebody that's asked that question about us at some point in time. 
said, what, what is it that I can do to help? How, 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 can I, how can I help you out? And you know, they were great people, not because they changed my life, not because they bailed me out financially, not because they fixed our marriage, or not because of anything else, but what it was, they were faced with an opportunity and they didn't talk about it, but they chose to do something and they made themselves available. May we be available as God's people. comforting thing for me as a pastor of this group of people is that there are so many of you that have made the choice to be great. And I'm out in the community and I hear it. Sid, can I tell you something about somebody that goes to Heritage? I want you to know this over here. And I hear that all the time about people that, that are part of this faith family that have made the decision to choose to be great. And I, I have to imagine that when our Heavenly Father sees us in that position of submission and humility, and He sees us desiring to make an, a difference in somebody's life, I have to believe that He smiles. Because the world around us is watching. When, when we were in India, there was a... Um, Many times we, we used a, a service just like Uber, except it was called, they called it Ola. And we'd have different guys that would drive for us. And, and there was this one day, there was a young man, and we were going to be with them all day long because it was a long ride from where we were, we were at to where we were going, and we were going to be with them all day long. And so being a small fella, I always had the privilege of sitting in the front. There, is, there are benefits, that's all I got to say. And so sitting in the front, I always sat beside the driver, and the driver was always on the other side. So they weren't on this side, but they were on the other side. And, uh, you know, I always started off the conversation with a few little bits and pieces. I need you to translate for me here. Uh, Ma'am, listen, what's your name? Do you have a good driving record? You ever been in an accident? You know, I, I had all these. And, and most of these drivers are small fellows, and so I could stick my hand over on their head, you know, and squeeze it just a little bit. <laughs> Grab their knee, and they'd look at me. And so uh, this one day, our driver, his name was a young man by the name of Samuel. His last name was Ali. Uh, Samuel was not Hindu. Samuel was Muslim. Um, and I had the opportunity to aggravate him throughout the day, a long day. But I told Chandra when we started, I said, you know, I love these times because these are the times you have an opportunity to impact somebody's life. And in the position that he was as a driver, as a servant, why would you be kind to a servant? You're supposed to look down on a servant. You're supposed to give him directions, and you're supposed to tell him what to do because of the position that you hold. But any time that we would stop, I would always try to make sure that he had something. He had something to drink. He had something to snack on. And it was really unique because at the end of the day, I asked Chandra because we had to be dropped off and I said, Chandra, I said, what a great day it was. And I said, I, I hope that we've had an impact um, 
because as we would go throughout the day, I would talk to Samuel about his relationship and about his Muslim faith. And I just said, you know, I pray that we had an influence in his life. And Chandra said, you know, it's really funny. He said, as I was leaving him a while ago, he asked me, he said, that, that guy's different. What makes him different? And I pray that a seed was planted that day, that maybe somewhere along the line that Samuel will find some others who will water that seed and that one day that seed will, will bloom. But let me say this right here. There are people all around that are looking for somebody that's willing to plant seeds. There are people all throughout this community that have been in and out of churches, and you know what? They've been hurt. They don't want anything to do with the church. They want a relationship with God, but they don't want anything to do with what they've seen and what they've experienced. And I don't either. But I want to be part of a family that chooses to be great. That when we see the that when we see the Jewish brother that's down here on the ground or the one that's despised or however you want to look at it, whoever it may be, I want us to be the one that says, Lord, what can I do to help? What is it that I can do? And I know that we can't, I know we can't solve everything. That's not, our, that's not who we're to be. But what we're supposed to be is to make those choices. As those opportunities come, we make those choices to be great. Because there's a world that's out there that's looking there's a world that's out there that desires to know God and to know him personally. If we would just not miss the opportunities that have been placed before us. See, I wish I could tell you that your goodness is, is enough, but it's not. You serving others is not good enough. But where our service to others comes from, it comes from a relationship with Jesus. Because it's abnormal. Serving others is abnormal. Because it's natural to want others to serve us. But as you go today, my challenge is that you will go and you will find ways and ask the question, what is it that I can do to help? Because I promise you there are multitudes of people in and out of this community that are desiring to see the truth in action. Not just some religious people that are carrying out some religious activity. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you don't, you've never trusted him, after I'm done praying, our overseers will be standing here up front. We would love to be able to share with you about a difference that Jesus Christ makes. If you want to talk to somebody about your relationship with Christ, I would encourage you to come and and to pray and to talk to one of our overseers. They're not going to bite you, I promise. They're good people. But they are men who love Jesus, and they've given their lives to serve others because they want to be great. Maybe you need to come this morning, and maybe at the end of the service, you just want to ask one of them to pray with you for a specific reason. Maybe you're struggling with something. and Say, listen, will you pray with me? They would love to be able to do that. So this week as you go to ask the question, what is it that I can do to be great? Ask that question. And don't miss the opportunities because this is what I already know. There are going to be opportunities even today that are going to present themselves. And so how will we respond? It's not about being great at something. 
but it's choosing to be great, to leverage the resources that we have, to demonstrate Christ's love, to be a light for Jesus so that he is on center stage, not us. Would you pray with me? Father, what a great day it is. I pray that the words that we've spoken today that have come, in, that have come from your scriptures, that they have impacted our lives. If there's someone here today, Lord, that don't know you, even this morning, would they come and would they just grab one of these overseers, these leaders by their hand and say, today, I, I don't know Jesus, but today I would like for you to share with me. What is it that washes away my sin? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Service does not save us. Only Jesus does. We celebrate today a risen Savior. And it's only because of the Holy Spirit in us that we're able to recognize those opportunities and to live as Jesus called us to live. For the person that may be here today that is just burdened and feeling as if they need to pray about something, even this morning, would they come as we close out our services? As we, as we celebrate moms, Father, thank you for our mothers, for the gifts of sacrifice that they've given, so that, Father, not only that we would come to know you, but we would come to live for you. I pray blessings on our mothers today. Thank you for my mother who has sacrificed so much, so much, and even in this day, she sacrifices greatly for a daughter who is, who is very ill. Thank you for the testimony and for the life of sacrifice that she has provided for us as children and grandchildren. Bless us as we go. May we be your ambassadors for Jesus. Father, may others see Jesus in us, and may we point others to the cross of Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.